welcome back to the What Then podcast. Today, my guest is Jen Charbonneau. Jen is a wife to Nathan Charbonneau, and together they have five children. She has two teenage twin girls, an 11-year-old girl, one 8-year-old boy, and one recently adopted 4-year-old girl. So she has some street cred, but we would both tell you that neither of us are experts on this topic. Um, But rather, we are just average people who love the Lord and we read scripture. So whether you're a parent or not, we pray that you would walk away from this episode with practical ways to raise your kids in the ways of the Lord. Um, Because Jen sets a great example for parents, future parents, foster parents, and so on. I currently homeschool our children. Half of the time, my husband works offshore. And so half of the time I am here working with the kids at home and doing those sorts of things. And so the life that we live sometimes can be unusual to a lot of people because it is a lot of kids and it can be very unique. But we find that the Lord is really gracious to us in our scheduling and in our life. Yeah. So Jen is like superwoman when it comes to kids. <laughs> From the outside looking in, I know you're thinking whatever, but she has lots of children and she just so evidently is intentional with her children. That is something that is evident in your life. And so I've always just wanted to ask you questions, and so thankfully I have this podcast now where I get to do that. Um, Today's topic is actually raising our children in the ways of the Lord. This is a given for every believer. We know we're supposed to raise our children in the ways of the Lord. What does scripture say about that? Yes, everything that we do, I believe in our home, I want to be grounded in the word of God. And specifically looking over the past couple of years, it's been difficult for me because I've seen so many different leaders, people that I have respected fall away from the faith, or we find out that they were living lives that were not aligning with scripture. And so I've had my own little crisis of faith, uh, but the beauty in that has been the absolute truth of scripture, that scripture is something that we can rely on, that it is always true, that it never changes, that it is steadfast and firm. And so in the midst of a changing world, I have been ever, ever so thankful for the word and a savior who is unchanging. One of the the key verses, and I think anybody, any mom would would give you this verse is looking at Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 7. Um, And that's just, that's the verse that's telling us that we should love the Lord our God with all of our hearts and soul and mind. It's the one that tells us that we're supposed to talk about the Lord and talk about his ways all the time when we lie down, when we rise up, when we walk, when we sit, when we stand. It's the thing that's to be around our arms and between our eyes and on the front post of our gates. And so the picture there is just that your entire life is saturated by the word of God. And so it's not a legalistic thing where we want to just put up verses on our walls. So we give a picture that, hey, we're really holy here. But it's something that when we're angry with one another, what does the Bible have to say about this? When we've offended one another, what does the Bible have to say about this? Uh, When we don't feel like being holy, what does the Bible have to say about this? And so it's a constant sanctifying process, uh, trying to teach my kids the word, because inevitably the things that I'm telling them are coming right back at me and and chipping away parts of me that the Lord needs to chip away. Um, Another verse that I really love, and it's one that I got from an article that Jen Wilkin wrote several years ago, and it was 2 Timothy 2, 24 through 26. And it talks about what a servant of the Lord should be um, and that we should be able to teach and to correct our opponents with gentleness. And when you read that verse, you don't necessarily think of a mother and her children. But I can tell you that as the kids start to grow, there are times when you feel like we are on the absolute opposite end of things, the way that we're viewing this, the way that we're handling this. And I have to remember that the Lord has called me to teach them and he has called me to correct them with gentleness. And so I would say those two verses are the ones that I go to the most to bring me back to why it is that I'm called to do this with faithfulness. That's so good. And I feel like That's just kind of a picture of the whole of scripture. Mm -hmm. Like we can apply it to so many different areas of our life, even our parenting. And like, that is such an encouragement to me that God gives us, like, it's kind of hard to find a ton of verses that specifically say, do this mom or do this (laughs) dad. But 
if we look at all of it as a whole, he's given us instruction and in how to apply that into every aspect of our lives. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I'm super thankful for. So how can we practically do this other than just making sure that we have our kids within the church walls um, and sending them to VBS and praying before meals? Those are good things, but what are the practical things that you do as a family to make sure that you are doing your job and raising them in the ways of the Lord other than those typical small things? Right, right. And I would I would just encourage you that all of it probably feels small in the moment, but little things every day, year upon year upon year are huge things in their lives. We are building these rhythms, these liturgies um, of faithfulness that they will be able to go back to and remember. I remember when the kids were little, um, it was like the whole day would be fine. And then at about bath time and dinner time, all of life would start to fall apart And so I would, at that point, all I wanted to do was like toss them into the bed and then, um, you know, go fix some decaf coffee and take bath and be done with the day. Uh, And that is kind of how I would handle it. A lot of the times I would put them in the bed. I would say a prayer over them really, really quickly. And then um, I would, I would immediately go and just do whatever it is that I wanted to do. And I went to a conference and the title of the conference was called family worship or this session that I was going to was called family worship. And in this session, they talked about the legacy of faithfulness that had passed down from generation to generation. And so they looked at, I can't remember how many families, I want to say, let's say 30. They looked at 30 families um, and then they looked two generations down and only six of those families had children or grandchildren who were still professing faith. Um, Now I know it is not a formula. We could we could do family worship every single day of our lives and our kids walk away. We are wholly dependent on Jesus to save them and to keep them. But without a doubt, God has given us a responsibility. And so what I began to recognize was that if we want to, this is an inheritance that God has given to us. And what would you do with an inheritance? You don't squander an inheritance. You protect it. You nourish it because you intend to pass it down. And so we realized that we were taking the time at night. Um, we were just being really careless with that time. And so we went home. Uh, we took the rebuke and the warning that we received from that conference and really started that day to implement family worship in our home. And so what our family worship looks like, we've gone through different books throughout the years, but it will be some uh, either a reading of a Bible story or um, one of the Psalms. Um, We will go through that. And then after we do that, we will sing. Uh, Typically acapella because nobody in my house can play an instrument. Um, (laughs) And uh, sometimes we'll put on YouTube videos and we'll sing along to that. Uh, And depending on their ages, you know, we started out with Jesus loves me and um, I'm in the Lord's army, you know, and now we will sing, turn your eyes upon Jesus and the old rugged cross as they grow older. We've been able to incorporate some of the older hymns. And I've really enjoyed that so much. And then we all go around and we pray. One thing that we do is we have everybody pray, whether they feel like it or not. That's just the encouragement in our home. And we're trying to set a rhythm for them that you go to the Lord and you cry out to him in praise, begging for help, all those things, whether you feel like it or not. And so I know that in our lives, there are a lot of times we don't feel like praying. And those are the times when we most need to pray. And so we've tried to set a pattern for the kids during our family worship time that we pray that we are a praying people. That's who we are. Nothing that we do is worth anything if God is not there and God is not in it. And so let us go to him and let us ask him for help. Let us ask him for forgiveness. Let us thank him for this day. One of my favorite things that my kids would do when they were little is one of the twins and she would pray and she would say, Lord, I want to thank you for a good day. And that would be tomorrow. And I loved it. (laughs) It was so funny because it was like just speaking life over our days that each day is a gift. And we're going to be thankful for this day. No matter what comes in this day, the Lord is going to use this day truly for his glory and for our good. So let's, let's be grateful. So family worship is probably the most consistent daily thing that we do. Um, 
I think that there have been lots of opportunities for ongoing conversations. I don't see anything in our family where the conversation is one and done. There are lots of conversations that go on and on and on. Um, and so foster care being one of those, you know, we, as, as we began to bring children into our home, we were having conversations with our kids about promiscuity or about drugs or about broken families, about abuse, those sorts of things. And so those are all ways that we can see how our lives don't always look like the mod, the biblical model that's set before us and how sin really does lead to death. So those are some little ways that we do those things every day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's encouraging to hear that y'all do that too with them, like making them pray even when they don't feel like it, because my husband's parents did that with he and his brother growing up. They still do that when we're in town, like they'll sit down and say, Hey, we're just going to read the Bible and go around and pray. And when I come in I as a, as an outsider, I'm like, what, this is amazing, <laughs> but also very intimidating. But mm -hmm. because they did that with them, that carries over into our marriage and that has been something that we do, even when we don't feel like it, if we are having a disagreement or a bad day, he's like, let's just stop and let's pray. And I'm like, I do not want to. And so sometimes my prayers yes. sound a lot like the twins prayer, <laughs> <laughs> like, Lord, you know, but you know, you're going to take care of it. And so that's just something so special that it, it does carry over, um, not just when they're children, but you see like it carried over into our marriage now because his parents. I love that. that. I love enough. that. That's a huge encouragement. Yeah. But one way that we are intentional with our little girl, and I know that I'm not an expert and she is not even two yet, but um, one way that we've been intentional with her is just having a bedtime routine and mm -hmm. making part of our bedtime routine, you know, bath, rocking her, praying with her and reading her Bible with her. And I know the thought there is that she's so little, she's not going to remember, but you would be so surprised what she does remember, even at her little age and what her little heart is able to absorb. Yes. Um, yes. She, even the other night, I have been singing Jesus Loves Me and, you know, the typical nighttime rocking songs. And I remember during COVID, she was a COVID baby. So long days of her newborn stage, just being so overwhelmed by the state of the world and scared about COVID, honestly, um, and just scared about having a newborn in that yes. scariness. Um, and I would sing Ancient of Days to her. And so I haven't sung that song consistently and forever. And the other night I'm rocking her and I start singing the words and she starts singing with me. And as of today, she starts singing every single word. Like, though the nations rage, kingdoms rise and fall, there's still one king reigning over all. She's not even two. That and I had so no good. idea that she was listening that much, you know, but she loves it. and. I pray, you know, that those big words that are big for her right now will mm -hmm. sink into her heart and that they won't be for nothing, even on the nights where we're like rushed and it's crazy. We're getting home late from church or wherever we are. Um, I know that it's hard to be intentional about it every time, but just taking the time to at least pray with her or sing with her, even if we don't get time to do family Bible time because she's going crazy, she's so tired. Right, right. <laughs> it does matter. And she listens. And when we ask her questions like, who did God make build that big boat? Noah, like simple things like that, yes. like that make her interested in scripture. And, you know, I've even started trying to help her memorize for God so loved the world, something so simple that one day, hopefully we'll be able to run with. And it's so sweet. She can repeat it back to me. It's just so precious to me. But it anyways, is. I was reading this morning out of Psalm 22 um, and it was Psalm 22 verse 10. And it says on you as I cast from my birth and from my mother's womb, you have been my God. And, you know, it's prophetic. It's talking about Christ. But I just thought that that our children, like from from the moment that they were born, the Lord loves them. He is tenderly caring for them. And they have like he's been their God from the beginning. And so to not think, 
he can't be your God until you can actually begin to communicate with him. Because none of this, none of this relationship with the Lord was ever started out of my own initiative. It's always been God, the God who's pursuing me and wooing me. And I've had the same experience. I remember trying to teach the girls. They were five and we were trying to learn Psalm 23. And I didn't work with Callie on it at all because I didn't think she could memorize it. She was only two. And so I was working with the girls, working with the girls. I dropped them off at school one day and Callie's in the back seat. And she at two quoted all of Psalm 23. And it was only from listening because again, I underestimated what she was able to do. So I wasn't even trying, but just from hearing it, you know, and I thought, Lord, if our children can memorize these words and take the minutes, because you have made a a place for that. You desire for them to know you. And so you work in these ways. And I, I think one more thing really with that quiet time is that the kids know that that's a space that's carved out for worship. So many of my kids questions have come during that time. And so, you know, Riley came to me. I remember shortly after her conversion, Riley came to me and she said, mama, when I get in bed at night, I have thoughts that God is not real and that he does not love me. And she said, I don't know what to do with these thoughts. And so I asked her to go and read through the Psalms. And I said, Riley, I want you to read until you find a verse that you, that can help you fight. And so she did, she went into her room. It's gonna make me weepy talking about it, but she went into her room and, um, one of the verses that she found is it talked about the enemy camping around her, but that the Lord would be her guide and her protection. And she drew a picture and she had, um, the enemy, you know, it was her in the middle and it was all of the thoughts kind of drawn on the outside. And then she wrote out the verse and she wrote, this will be my help. And she taped that up beside her bed. Uh, and we've had, there have been other questions like that in the kids' lives, you know, where I, they're already, Satan is already in different times attacking their thought processes. And so that family worship time, you know, there are times when it doesn't feel fruitful at all. And then there, but, but I would do it because we know that it is fruitful. We know that God is working and moving and even when we can't see it. And then in those spaces, when those hard things come up and they're revealed, I just thank the Lord that there is a space, a safe space for them to be able to express the things that they are already being afflicted with as children. Mm-hmm. It's so good. So precious. I'm like crying, like thinking of my kid searching the scriptures for her answers one day. That's just so encouraging to me. So what are some temptations that you have to get too distracted or too busy to do this and to be intentional about this time, the family worship time that you're mentioning? Oh, such a good question. Um, because life is so very busy. Um, And busy does not have to be bad, but we have to be so intentional with the way that we think, with the way that we speak, the way that we walk every single day to not, for me, the temptation is to walk in my own strength constantly. And so I have to remember that my gifts apart from the spirit are going to betray me. I cannot function in my strengths. I cannot function in my giftings without fully relying upon Christ to sustain and do it all. Um, And so, you know, the temptation is I want to be everything that my children need. I want to have all the answers I want, you know, and, and in that I'm trying to be a little mini savior. And the reality is that they have a savior and it is not me, you know? Mm -hmm. And so the job for them and for myself is that I need to constantly point them to Jesus And when you get busy, you get distracted. And so it's much easier to just focus on your routine and your schedule than it is to say, Hey guys, we need to stop and we need to lock eyes with Christ. And we need to ask him what his plans are for us today. And, and as we walk, let us have our eyes open so that we can see people who are hurting and people who are lost and people who need to be loved and people who need to hear the truth, people who need to be prayed for. Um, people who need to be served, whatever that may look like. And so anyway, the big temptation for me really is to try to function as if I do not need God. And so I, I constantly, that is the beauty of the word of God is every time I meet with him in his word, he reminds me of who he is and who I am and how desperately I need him to get me through each day. Mm -hmm. Um, so 
How do we take responsibility for teaching our kids about truth instead of just saying that it's the church's job? So I, for me, I believe that the desire to teach them is born out of a great love for them. I don't see this as a sort of duty that I have to teach my children about God. I don't really feel like it. I don't really want to. I just have to do it. I guess the church is not going to do it for me because I love God. And because I love my children, the things that are coming out of my mouth, I long to teach them. I want them to know him. And the more that I know him, the more that I see that life is futile apart from him. And so if I'm going to pass on anything that is lasting and true, it's going to have to be founded in Christ. And so I would caution anybody who says, Hey, I'm not really interested in teaching my children about God. I want that to just belong to the church. I would question your love for the Lord. And I would also probably question your love for your children because truly the job belongs to us both. God has given the church this responsibility, but not at the the sake of the parents abdicating their responsibility. We are called to do this together. And I think that's super important because we need one another. I I think I said this earlier, but I really do sometimes want to be all and do all within myself. Um, But I don't have everything that my kids need. I I can't teach my son um, what it means to be a godly man by myself. Nathan can't teach him by himself. I can't teach my girls what it means to be a godly woman. We need the church to come in and show us, okay, this is what it would look like to be a godly nurse. This is what it would look like um, to be a godly I don't know, teacher or a godly lawyer or a godly garbage man or a godly architect or a godly gardener or a godly whatever, you know? And so I am confident that God has given us his body because he knew that we could not complete this task on our own. And so we do need one another. Um, But I, I definitely would say that we need to saturate our lives in the word and in prayer We have to let that pour out from us. There have been times when my kids have gone to people that are not me with some of their hard questions, and that did not hurt my feelings. I was so grateful that they had other people that were in their lives who were able to point them to truth, give them wisdom, people who were not me. And so I would, we need to be in and among other believers. We need to be fellowshipping constantly and regularly and not letting little things come up and steal that time away from us. Yeah. I think also usually when people have the mindset that it's the church's job they don't they wouldn't just come out and say that i think it's just kind of a laziness thing that we Mm -hmm. unintentionally develop over time sometimes just in our southern culture um, in the bible belt um just having our families in church which is a great thing praise god for that but also thinking because we do that that we don't have any responsibility at home because we've checked the box there that we have them in church, we have them in community, which are good things, but they can't take the place of the good stuff at home, the responsibility that we also have at home too. And I think a lot of times it's easy to get too busy or too lazy in our own personal walks with the Lord. Because when we see that, when we spend time with the Lord, those desires to teach our children, those desires to model it for them are strengthened by the Lord working in us through our time spent with Him, surrendering things to Him, and growing in our love for Him. Because if, if we grow in our love for Him, we grow in our love for our children, and we grow in our love to teach them the things of the Lord. And it really is a joy for us to get to do it together. You know, I don't, I don't really want to elevate one over the other, even though you can look at the amount of time that's spent at home and the amount of time that's spent at church and the time at home is so much more. And so that's, I think a little bit of the, I don't know if pressure is the right word, but a little bit of the weight there is we have so much more time with them than the church does. And then also to remember that our homes are little mini churches. You know, these are the places where we are sanctifying one another. We are forgiving one another. We are loving one another. We are bearing one another's burdens. And so when we do that well within the context of our home, we're able to go into the church and do that well within the context of a larger body. Mm-hmm.
Yeah. Okay. So how are some ways that you keep your kids interested? I know you have older kids, so I'm super interested to hear your answer to this question. How do you get creative with keeping them interested or making them even care? <laughs> That's it's, this is really one of the most fun parts of it. Um, cause I'm not super creative. Uh, and people will say, no, 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 everybody's creative, but like, I don't sing and I don't play an instrument and I don't paint. And so I've just recognized that my family is the place where I have the opportunity to be creative and to think. So one of the things that I love to do uh, is Advent. I will tell you the Advent season for us is one way that we plug in every year. We have this wreath. It's a wooden wreath that my father-in-law made and we put candles in it every night. And so the first night has one candle and we have a passage of scripture that we read and the room is totally black. We light that one candle and we say, you know, the light of the world, he's come once and he's coming again. And we're waiting for his coming. Well, every night we go through, through like December 1st through December 25th, and we add a candle each night. And so the light is getting brighter and brighter and brighter because it's closer and closer to Jesus coming. And so that is a tradition in our home. It's funny because Christmas for me was really difficult when I first had kids because we had this whole struggle of, okay, we're not going to do Santa. And then are we going to do gifts? And we did gifts and nobody was grateful. And I mean, <laughs> we just had this, I had this huge meltdown one year I gave, they got like no presents. And then another year they got only books. <laughs> so <laughs> This has been a journey for us but I recognize my heart is set on the wrong things. And so I'm just constantly disappointed during the Christmas season. And for us, celebrating Advent has helped to shape our hearts to really look for Jesus's coming. And so it's not about, it's not about any of the, I don't know, the excess, I guess, of Christmas. It really is about there is a Messiah and he's coming <laughs> and we're so excited. Another thing that we do is we will celebrate Lent together. And that it's a little more sober. During our family worship time, we will practice confession and repentance. That is one thing that I don't know that I grew up really understanding what it looked like to kind of think through your day, think through your sinful patterns and confess those and repent to one another. And so we take that very specific time and we all go around, we confess the sin that we struggled with that day. We think about scriptures that can help us fight that sin. Um, we will call and make things right. Like if we've hurt somebody's feelings, we have to call them and, you know, apologize. And then it's just a sweet time of seeing your kids' hearts because you'll see where they recognize that they did sin. I have one child who is fairly confident um, that he or she, like they're, they'll think and say, you know, I don't think I send it all today. And so that's also <laughs> something that shows us what's going on in their hearts. And so we can gently go back together and say, okay, well, think about this situation or think about these things in your heart. So that's a, that's a great revealer. And I have to laugh because they always want to know where Nathan and I have sent. I mean, everybody's like ready, you know, so it's, it's, it's a, it's an interesting time together because I hope that they're learning how to do that within the context of community. So when they grow up and they get old, it's not weird to sit in front of a, a small group or a group of friends and say, hey, guys, this is what I'm really struggling with, or I really hurt you and I want to make this right. So we're hoping that this will set them up um, to be able to do it more easily than I think we know how to do it in the future. Um, other things that we do is we We'll have nights where we pick countries and we learn about that country. We cook food from that country. We learn about the belief system of that country. And then what does the gospel say in light of, say it's Buddhist or Hinduism, um, we will kind of compare and contrast the things that are similar and the things that are different and how really Jesus is the, I mean, it, it all hinges on Jesus. And what do you have to say? Who is Jesus? And so I think that that work really helps in an apologetic way to help them shape their faith, but it's also really fun to eat Chinese food together and to pray for Chinese people and Chinese missionaries um, and to grow our love for other cultures. Another thing that we do is we really try to put good heroes before the kids. And so our heroes are Amy Carmichael and David Livingston and Elizabeth Elliott and Gladys Allward and Dwight L. Moody. 
um, and Corey Ten Boom. And did I say Elizabeth Elliot? Maybe <laughs> but I could say her again, Jim Elliot. You know, those are the heroes that we really put before the kids. And so we study their lives. Uh, and that I enjoy a lot. And then I think one of the other things is we read a lot of good books together. My favorite um, will be The Wing Feather Saga by Andrew Peterson. If you have children at all that are in the preteen era of life, go get them, start reading them today. Um, the Chronicles of Narnia, books like that, that help us to see the true story but in a different light. And so you'll get those same themes of redemption and betrayal and forgiveness and love and mercy. And we would just weep together as a family, as we would read through the wing feather series, because we saw so many beautiful things about Jesus in there, even though the name of Jesus is never actually mentioned, his presence is all throughout the pages. And so um, I was shaped by good books. And so I think good books are huge. And then maybe the last way is just nature. We really try to get the kids outside, try to take them to see the mountains and to see the beaches and to look at the sky and to just gaze and wonder at the God who has created it all. And really hoping that that wonder will stir up worship in their hearts. Yeah, I agree. I, I mean, I can even see that with little Alex running around outside as we're going on our walks every day, her awe and wonder of a butterfly has made me have awe and wonder yes, of a butterfly. Yes, that's How right. did you do that, Lord? <laughs> yes. You were so amazing. Like, and I'll say, like, God gave us a butterfly today to mm -hmm. enjoy and to be fascinated with. And, oh, God gave us another butterfly. Look at it. Or God gave us that sunset. Just intertwining all of it in everything that we do, I think, is super helpful for them. But I love to hear your creative ways. I want to I want to know resources. I, I need like a list of resources got, to recommend got, to everybody. I, I have some good books. And I, I love the butterfly illustration because it's your delight is the thing that they delight in. They really do watch us and they love the things that we love. And so if you delight in a butterfly and if you delight in the creator of the butterfly, they will delight in the creator of the butterfly. So what about personal holiness? You mentioned in our notes as we were preparing beforehand. One of the things that is essential in raising up children to love Jesus is our own quiet time in the word. Um, our own time of prayer, our own time of repentance before the Lord. I have asked lots of parents who have children older than me, tell me what to do. Tell me what you did. Tell me what you wouldn't do. Without fail, every single one tells me I would worry less and I would pray more. And so I have taken that as a, a great word of encouragement, um, a word of warning, because I think the way that we can our flesh wants to fret and worry about whatever the things are that our kids are struggling with. Um, and again, it's the same thing. Well, I want to fix it for you. When the reality is that Jesus has already paid the price for their greatest need, which is the forgiveness of their sins. And so I can't help them to see that that's their need if I don't see that that's my need. And so when I get before the Lord and I spend time in his word, whether it's in, there are days when I'm just totally adoring him. I'm wrapped up in great love for him. There are days when I read his word and I'm so convicted, all I can do is weep. Um, and then that time of prayer where it really is just you and the Lord, and there are no fancy phrases, um, and you're not trying to impress anybody but you are just bare and broken on your knees before him about whatever is going on that day. That is the thing that will be more beneficial for your children um, really than I think anything else that you could give them. If they see us living lives of faithfulness and consistency um, and, and they see when times are hard, we cry out to God. And when times are wonderful, we cry out to God. He's our, he's our hope. Who is our hope in life and death? It's Christ alone. And so without that foundation of personal holiness, we're really unable to teach them that Christ is our hope in life and death. And so I think that that's the thing that's easiest to neglect because that's the part of our lives that, that most people don't see. But it is absolutely the most vital thing that you will do for the spiritual health of your children and the spiritual health of yourself and the spiritual health of your home. Um, because the reality is that to raise our kids up in this faith, 
means that at one day they're going to endure suffering and they're going to endure persecution. And I wrestled so hard with that when the girls were about five years old. Um, I just, as I began to think about raising them up in this faith, I thought, Lord, I'm like raising them up to be persecuted, to be scorned, to be mocked. How do I do this? How do I, I love them. How in the world do I raise them up to give them over to this? Um, and the reality is that we have to trust our God in order to be able to give our kids fully over to him, kind of like Hannah did with Samuel. Um, and we cannot trust God if we do not have a daily rhythm of personal holiness in our lives. And when I say trust God, I don't, I don't mean that glib, like, oh, just trust God. I mean, God is trustworthy. He has failed no one yet. He has been steadfast throughout the ages. Every promise of his um, is going to be fulfilled. Every, not one of his words will fall to the ground. And so if we if we want to have steadfast families, we have to live personal lives of holiness. That's so good. And I think it's an encouragement for parents who tend to want to hide that from their kids, like want to hide the times where we're feeling broken or we're feeling weak or we're feeling overwhelmed, just pretending that it's okay. But like you were saying, it's beautiful that our kids can see that so that they can know where to run when things get hard or yes. where to, how to stand when things get shaky because this world is just full of just so many attacks from the enemy. Yeah. And and there will be places like there are days when I'm terrified to raise them up in this world and those are the days I just have to say Lord help my unbelief. I'm I'm casting all of this my belief, my unbelief, all of it. Like you can handle all of it. We can take every single thing to God. There's not one thing that we have to hide from him. And as the kids have gotten older, it's interesting because, you know, I am home with them and I homeschool. So you would think I know them completely, but their truth is you cannot know anyone completely. Only God knows us completely. And so he has to help me minister to the depths of my children, the places of them that I cannot see the struggles that I don't even know are going on, but God who knows all and sees all can help us. And he is willing to, you know, how James tells us, if we ask for wisdom, he'll liberally pour it out. And so that's one of my prayers in my private prayer time is God, I cannot see everything that's going on in their hearts, but you can please help me to teach and guide and instruct and nourish those places. And so that's really where you're walking, you know, where it's like, it feels like blind faith, but it's not blind because we have a trustworthy savior who is already there. Mm -hmm. And so what is the result of parents not having personal holiness be their foundation for teaching holiness? What's the result of them not doing that? There is a hardness of heart that sets in. Um, there is a compromise that I think starts to take place. What I have seen in parents who don't have lives of quiet, private holiness um, is that when their kids begin to make decisions that look like the world, the parents often want to stretch. They're, they're willing to take the things of scripture that we know to be true. And they're willing to kind of break those things open to make allowance for things that are no longer true. And we begin to make compromises because we love our kids, right? So we just want them to feel loved and we want them to feel accepted. And we want to, and we begin to make all these little tiny compromises. And the reality is, that we are cutting the feet out from underneath our children. The most faithful thing that we can do for them is to hold fast to God's word, to love them so deeply that when they, when we speak the truth to them, it's not coming at them from this judgmental, haughty, holier than thou attitude, but we go to our kids in humility um, and we go to them in deep love with the truth because the truth is the only thing that sets you free. <laughs> and so if you think that, living your true self. Well, you know, that's the kind of the mantra of today is we just want to let all of our kids live their true selves. And I think, no, like we want our kids to live by the Bible because this is the truth. And so if you want to be free, you got to go here. And so our hearts get hard. We begin to make compromises. Our spirits get rebellious. Um, and then we, we begin to say things that we never, ever would have said. That's the, the, one of the great tragedies to me is 
when I do see parents start to fall away and start to make allowances that they never would have made. And sometimes they do it in the name of love. And it's like, this could not be farther from love. Love them enough to tell them the truth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So what happens when we're doing our best, but we fall short here? Because we all do. We do. We do daily on the daily. Um, my, my favorite encouragement for this comes from Corey Ten Boom. Um, I think it's in her book, Tramp for the Lord. And she talks about when she would be tempted and she would sin. And she would say, I would repent and I would grab hold of the forgiveness that's offered to me and I would keep walking. And that is really what I try to do. I try to never hold grudges against my kids. I think holding grudges is a dreadful way to discipline because we all need redemption. We all need to know that we don't have to sit, you know, under our sin. And so when things have been made right, they are made right. You know, our sin is wiped away. And so it doesn't mean that there are not sometimes consequences that still follow. Um, but if say I have an incident with the children, we deal with it, whatever that may look like there are consequences, there, but I don't continue to have an attitude or a tone with them that I'm just constantly disappointed in you all the time. Um, I try to help them see that that forgiveness is constantly offered to them because of the cross. And so we don't want to abuse that. You know, we never want to trample on grace. We don't want to cheapen grace. Um, we want to be so thankful that when we sin, we have been given repentance as a gift. We can be made right. So go and be made right and pick up your mat and walk. And that's really how for me, you know, I don't want to sit and beat myself up all day because then I've lost the whole day, which was given to me as a gift. And so to ask God for the godly sorrow that leads to repentance, to truly repent and then grab hold of forgiveness and walk. Yeah. I think just, I asked that question because just even me as a new mother, I've beat myself up or I let the enemy get in my head sometimes about, I have this realization that I wasn't being intentional with her the past few weeks or today or yesterday and then i just it's like self-condemnation just yeah rolls within me and the lord reminds me like there's grace for that like mm -hmm. i wish i i love when you are intentional with her but you need me to do it yes and so there's grace for that like leave it behind you recognize that you are supposed to be intentional with her and not focused on the things of this world, but press on and get over it. <laughs> Take the next step. That's yeah. what Elliot says. Take the next step. Yeah. So talk about, you mentioned also surrounding ourselves with a community who believes the truth and how we need one another. I don't know where I would be without the family of faith and friendship that the Lord has given to me. Um, when I think about my children, when I think about my, my life in general, the conversations that I have had with godly friends have charted the course for my life. Truly. Um, I think about times when I wanted to fall away. I thought that it was too difficult to stay connected to a body. Um, and the Lord in his tender mercy was wooing me through his word and he was wooing me in prayer, but without a doubt, he used his people, um, to, to, constantly and consistently draw me back into fellowship. And so um, now I believe he has grown my faith to a place where I'm able to do that for others. You know, when there are others who want to walk away, fall away, they've been burned, whatever that looks like. Um, I think I'm able to say, you can't, you can't go. I know that church is hard. I know that following Jesus is hard, but life apart from him is impossible. And mm -hmm. so how do we, how do we plug in and how do we stay here? And we do this together. It is a good thing to have friends that you can just talk about the goodness of God with. And so there have been times when I may have been having an issue in my own heart and I didn't reveal that to anybody. I may not have shared that at all, but just meeting with a group of girls and talking about the goodness of God, I went home restored and refreshed and encouraged because I remembered who God was. And then whatever it was I was struggling with did not feel quite so significant. You know, we have a tendency to think that we are the center of the universe and all the world should stop when we have an issue. But truly, when we look at the holiness and the beauty and the grandeur of God, and we look at the eternity that he's preparing for us and all those things, it's like, okay, you know, it's, it's okay that my baby did not sleep through the night last night because like 
I can manage that in light of the fact that there's a good father who loves me and my, my sins have been forgiven and all those things, those truths that we repeat to ourselves over and over that our friends will repeat to us when we don't have the strength to do it. And so I love the story. Oh, I'm going to say maybe an exodus, uh, you know, where Aaron and her are holding up Moses's hands when he's in battle. And so I think that's who we are for one another is that we hold up one another's hands when, you know, if I'm not in a current struggle right now, I really am able to intercede and lift up, help my, my friend who is struggling to lift up her hands and vice versa. In a couple months, when I do have a deep struggle going on, she's going to be able to lift up my hands. And so we're able collectively to remember these truths. And then we're surrounded by this cloud of witnesses who are cheering us on to the finish line. And I just, there, there's a huge warning in scripture that so many will fall away in the last day. And so I'm always asking Lord, please help me not to fall away. Please help my children not to fall away. And so the having a rich community is a part of not falling away. It is God's spirit who keeps us, but it is his spirit through his people where we are encouraged and united. Mm-hmm. I think also surrounding ourselves with a community who believes the truth too is so that we have people to set those examples for us. Yes. Like you were saying, like for even for me, even before I was a mother, when we were living in Baton Rouge, I have this friend who has a little girl who is a bit older than Alex, of course, because she had her before we were even thinking about kids, but she was so good at modeling scripturally raising her little girl in the ways of the Lord for me Mm. that I'm able to be encouraged by that and be mindful of that in a way that I don't know that I would have been had I not had a friend who had a kid before me doing it in front of me. I'm like, oh, even in this, I need to glorify the Lord. Like that is my responsibility as a mother Um, and she was so good like I remember her posting a video of her once saying the whole John 3 16 verse she's like if little kids can memorize baby shark (laughs) they can memorize John (laughs) 3 16 and her little girl she has scripture memorization and she's like four or five now and it's just so beautiful to see how that like can carry over into other relationships and we never know just who's listening like that like she probably had no idea oh i'm doing this also to set an example for addison she was doing it for her little girl and doing it for the lord but it spilled over into our relationship and now spills over into my relationship with alex that's so good we we one time we had a little friend over and she was younger than all of my kids and uh they were all my kids were all bickering with one another and this little girl said, um, it doesn't sound like you're walking in love. <laughs> I had to laugh because that was a verse she had memorized at her yeah. home, you know, and it was, she was younger than my kids, but she was able to come in, um, and lovingly rebuke because they were not walking in love. And so yeah. the scriptures, man, they're so good. Yeah. That's so sweet. Okay. So what, if there are people who are listening, who don't have that community already, where do they begin with finding these people? I think that God has his people everywhere. And if we ask the Lord to show us where his people are, he will, he will bring us there. Going to a Bible teaching church is probably the most common place where you're going to find people who love the Lord. I know that there are other things Uh, For example, I do Bible study fellowship and Bible study fellowship is an international Bible study. Um, It's done in different countries in different time zones all over the world. And so we're all studying the same book that has been a vital part of my life for about five years. And it's not done with people that I go to church with, but it's just a collection of believers in the community. Um, And I cannot tell you what just being a part of that community has done for my Bible study time, my prayer life, such those people have been such an encouragement to me. And so ask the Lord to help you find them go to church. It's, it, it's going to be really difficult to find a faith family. If you are not willing to go on Sunday mornings, I know that there are a lot of things that keep us from going, especially when our kids are little, because we feel like it doesn't matter. 
We feel like they're not getting anything out of it. We feel like we're annoying other people, but Jesus himself said, let the little children come into me. And so I know that Jesus desires for our families to be there. And I'll give you an example. The other night we had a good Friday service at church and I watched several families come in who had kids in the two to four range. Um, Most of them were not able to sit through the entire service, Um, but I cannot tell you how much it encouraged me to see them doing the hard work of coming in the doors. And so I know that they probably did not get a lot, if that's how you want to phrase that, you know, they weren't able to hear a lot, um, but just their presence there encouraged and sanctified me. And it reminded me of why we do what we do. Um, and it, it reminded me of those little years when mine were also little and we were going and it kind of felt pointless, but it's not pointless. Nothing ever given to the Lord is pointless. And so he takes all of these little tiny paltry offerings and he turns them into something beautiful. And so get up, whether you're exhausted, whether the baby hasn't slept, whether you feel like it or not, get up and go and trust that the Lord will bless your faithfulness. Um, because that he, he just does that. He is faithful always um, to bless those who are seeking to walk in his will. Yeah. And I think the enemy tries to chirp at us and convince us that it's never going to be worth it and that we're never going to get anything out of it and that it's always going to be chaos. I mean, if I didn't have my husband motivating me during those newborn stages, we would have never gone because it, I mean, it was the height of COVID, even if not, even if you take COVID out of the factor, it's hard to get up and get yourself dressed, get your baby dressed, gather the diaper bag, gather all of the stuff. (laughs) And whatever season you're in, it's hard. It's hard to get there and it's hard to think, okay, this is gonna be fruitful, this is gonna be worth it. But every time I could walk away with at least a little something and at least a little encouragement from just seeing other believers. And there's something special about that that the Lord does just about us being with one another and Mm -hmm. being present, even if we don't, we couldn't give you an outline of the sermon afterwards. Like it is worth it. It is. And you can expect that Sunday mornings are going to be difficult. You know, if you have an expectation that Sunday morning is going to be easy, you're going to be disappointed every single time, but you know, that there is a real enemy who wants to attack our families. He wants to attack our communities and our bodies of faith. And so we can wake up on Sunday morning knowing he intends to attack. And yet if the Bible is true, which we believe it is, then we have been given everything that we need for life and godliness. And so even though the temptation is to not go, I can press through that because I have the spirit of God and I'm able to go. And one of my favorite um, Psalms is that it's in Psalm 68 and it says daily, the Lord bears us up. And that's just what I have to trust is that with just by the Lord is present. The Lord is there. The Lord is bearing me up. Even if I feel completely depleted by the work of parenting. Yeah. So we already talked about how, you know, we can be intentional with our little ones, but how are you intentional with your teens? This is a good one. So we have lots of conversations. Uh, I think that that's one of the main ways that I'm able to reach their hearts right now. It's really interesting because their hearts just start to open up at about 10 o'clock at night. And so we talked earlier about, you know, bedtime and have, wanting to have that quiet time. And um, I'm trying to get in bed at 10 o'clock, but I've just learned that when their hearts start opening up, I just push everything else to the side so that I'm able to listen to whatever is going on. So whether it's things within the youth group or whether it's things within their friend group or whether it's things at home with their siblings, um, they will begin to talk to me. And I try to listen that to, to be slow to anger and quick to listen, I think has got to be essential when we're communicating with teens because because we do love our kids. And so the second they come to us with a problem, it's like, we want to immediately jump in with a solution. Well, this is what you should have done. And this is how you can fix it. And no one appreciates that. And so I try to bite my tongue and just sit and listen. Um, Something else I really try hard to do is to step back and discern what is the root of all this? Because sometimes the thing that they're really, really struggling with is not the thing that they're actually talking about. And so I will try to listen and hear what they're not saying to me. um, And then maybe gently try to ask questions to help that 
reveal itself. Um, another thing that we do is we really try to make room within our lives for their friends. I never knew, I guess I did know because I was a teenager at one point, but I forgot when I became a mom, just how important peers are. Whenever you become a teenager, you want your friends around you. And so you don't always want your mom and dad around, but you do want your friends around. And so we, you know, thankfully the church that we go to, we are with a lot of like-minded parents who have a lot of kids, my girl's age. And so, um, we try to make a lot of room for those girls to come over to our house, to hang out so that we're developing relationships, not only with our girls, but also with their friends. And so that's, that's one way um, that we're doing that. We really, we eat a lot of meals together. And that is one huge encouragement that I would throw out to anybody is the, the art of sitting down together um, and asking one another questions. We have a little question box. And so Jude will go get our question box and he'll sit and he'll ask questions. And that's just something we ordered off of Amazon. It wasn't anything spectacular, um, but it'll be, you know, he'll ask us questions about our childhood or questions about what's their favorite subject. Or if you could open a restaurant, what kind of food would you serve at your restaurant? Things like that. And so it gets us all talking to one another. Um, and so my philosophy is really like no closed doors, you know, like they're, we're not going to slam doors. We're not going to close doors. We're always to one another. We're always going to fight for intentional, real conversation with one another. Um, I, I don't want the sun to go down on my anger with my kids if I'm really frustrated with them. And I think one maybe last avenue is that we give them a lot of open access into our lives. The things that we're praying over, the things that we're um, struggling over. Now, if it's information that's too heavy for them, we don't share it, but say I'm stressed about finances and I might just tell them, you know, this is something that I'm wrestling with today. Please help me pray, pray with me that the Lord would help me to be generous. And so the girls will get in on that and they'll pray with me in those things. And they have a lot of freedom with us to be able to say, mom, dad, the way that you just responded does not align with the way that you're teaching us to respond. And so we ask them a lot, Hey, tell us what are things that we can do differently? What are things that you love that we do? What are things that you hate that we do? And then we try to take that feedback and really implement that in our lives. Mm -hmm. So I know at least I, I think most of us as parents, um, we want to shelter our children from the junk and the evil that's in this world, but can we shelter them from everything? How do we teach them how to be in the world, but not of it? Ah, oh, this is the question that has kept me up uh, the most <laughs> at night for sure. And I think I've thought about it a lot, specifically since we started homeschooling, because I think that there's a constant people will say, well, you know, you can't shelter your kids forever. Um, you know, they have to be exposed to this and they have to be exposed to that. And I just, I wrestle so much because I want to know, okay, what does the Bible have to say with how we're supposed to train up our children. Cause that's, that's what I want to do. And so I think sometimes the word shelter can give the impression that we're just trying to hide and we're building our own bunker and we want to get away from the world. Um, so I really like to use the word shepherding when I talk about parenting or I talk about my children because we're out there among the world. You know, when you really think about an actual shepherd, he's not hiding the sheep from the world. He's out there, but he is nurturing and protecting the sheep in the world. And so there are going to be wolves. There are going to be lions. There are going to be false teachers, all those things. And my job as, as kind of a co-shepherd, you know, Nathan is there is really their shepherd and I'm along with him in that. And so we do that together. My goal is not to hide them from the difficult things that are in this world. My goal really is to arm them with truth and reason so that they know how to handle and thoughtfully engage with the things that they are going to come into contact with. And I want them to do everything in a way that honors God. And so some of the ways that we, you know, do this within our home, we've done foster care. And I said that earlier, that's brought a lot of conversation into our home. We go to food banks. We've been to abortion clinics. We have been to soup kitchens. We sing at nursing homes. We have friends who do not believe um, in Jesus. And these are all things that are part of our life on a regular basis. And so our goal is um, hope has been poured into our hearts. And the Bible says that we are a light and you don't put a lamp, you know, under, a, uh, under a basket. And so our goal is that our light would shine to the world, that they would see 
anything that we do, our good works, and that they would give glory to our Father who is in heaven. And so um, I feel like I get the honor of leading and protecting them as we walk. And there are situations when we need to retreat. There are things out there that are too heavy for them, and they're not able to carry right now. And in those situations, I believe that it's my job, it's Nathan's job to carry those things for them until we are able to pass them along. Um, they're, you know, we're waiting for their minds to mature on some things so that they can, again, engage with truth and with reason. And there's a lot of maturity that has to come as a part of this process. And so I just think it's such a joy to be their mom in these hard things. And, you know, I don't, are there any easy things when it comes to parenting? Maybe there are, but it doesn't really feel like it sometimes, <laughs> you know, everything. I remember stressing out when I started feeding them food, like how much is enough? And do I feed them? yogurt or too much yogurt or do I feed them the, you know what kind of milk and, blah, 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 and all the things and so everything can feel really heavy but the truth is that there is a great great joy in being the mom of these kids and I, I don't want to ever give the impression that I know how to handle every situation because I don't and I do feel like I'm asking God a hundred times a day, please help me. What would you do here? What do you want me to do here? How would you respond here? What does the mind of Christ look like in this situation? I, I mean, it, it's a constant question for me. And it wasn't when, I, when they were little, because I was so tired. I don't, <laughs> I don't think I thought to ask that question. I wish that I would have. Um, there are some things I would have done differently when they were little, had I been asking that question regularly. But now as they are getting older and I am aware of my insufficiency, um, but Christ's absolute sufficiency, he is faithful to minister to me. He's faithful to answer when I cry out for help, um, whether he nurtures me with a scripture that I've memorized, whether I get a random encouraging text from a friend. Sometimes the kids will just come up and hug me and say, mom, I love you. And I'm thankful for you. And those little tiny reminders, it really do help me to see that it's worth it because in parenting, you know, we plant a lot of seeds, but just like with a garden, it takes time for those things to develop and for fruit to show up. And so we plant these seeds in faith, trusting that God is going to produce fruit in the lives of our kids. So one last question, um, should it ever be our kids' choice to be in church because we don't want to force them? Can you talk about the dangers of this, but also the benefits of them sitting under teaching, even if they'd rather be anywhere else? You know, I, I'm just thinking of the typical teenager phases that lots of them go through. Most of, if not all of them go through this, I don't want to be here. So how do you handle that? So we have not encountered that yet. The girls are 13 and right now church is the place that they want to be all the time. And, uh, you know, we have a great youth minister, they have great friends. Um, it's just such a sweet body to be a part of. And so church is life for them right now. And I, I am, I'm thankful for that because that's, that's how it was for me growing up and grew up in it just with a great youth group and great friendships, people who discipled me, um, way back when. And so I think if, you know, I've tried to think through this because what if it does come? And, and my answer right now is that I'm always going to do what I believe is best for my kids. And so force, I think sometimes has like a negative connotation with it, but like in that context, you know, like I force them to not play in the street and I force them to wear a seatbelt and I force them to eat food that I know is nutritious for their bodies. So, you know, am I like standing over them, you know, just uh, manhandling them? No. But those are the things that I'm studying before them, because that's what I know is best for them. I don't know that wearing a seatbelt is their preference, you know, and they're always going to pick a ring pop over broccoli. Um, but those are not the, that's not the options that I give to them because that's not what's good for their hearts and their minds and their souls and their growth. And so I'm going to require these things that are necessary. And so I believe that when it comes to church, I really pray that they never feel forced. I mean, that's already a prayer point for me is that this is not a situation where they feel like I have to go and not that they desire to go, but this is a place where we can fight for our kids and tell them, 
I know you don't feel like it, but we are not a people who are governed by our feelings because our feelings are fickle and our feelings are changing. And so we have to be a people who are governed by the truth. And what is the truth? The truth is scripture. Well, what does scripture tell us? Well, scripture tells us that we are to gather with the body. The scripture tells us to not forsake the assembling together. And so, because we know that this is true, this is what we're going to do, whether we feel like it um, or not. My other hope with this is that if it, I hope that this would be a thing that would not come out of nowhere and surprise me. And I don't want to walk arrogantly like, oh, I know everything that my kids are doing. So this could never happen to me. Um, I I absolutely want to walk in a massive dose of humility right now. Um, But my hope is that our relationships are so close that I would be able to see something like this coming and it would not come out of nowhere. And so we would be able to be talking about it the whole time. Like, why, why do you not want to engage? Why do you not want to go? Um, what is lacking in our home? What is lacking in your spiritual life? What is lacking that's feeding this sort of rebellion? Um, and so I'm at the end of it, I healthy conversation for me is going to be key. Praying is going to be even more key. Um, and, and setting rhythms in our home where we talk about these things together is going to be essential. Mm-hmm. And I think like everything that you were saying, though you haven't faced it yet, hopefully not ever, though you haven't faced it, those things that you were talking about should be an encouragement for anyone who might be facing it. Bathe it all in prayer, you know, like, yeah. God, what do I do here? How do I handle this? How do I gently direct them in the right direction? And not letting them make their own choices here, like you were saying, it's not a forced thing in a bad connotation. It's for their good. It's for, right. it has eternal weight that right. they are there and they are, that they are present. Even if right. youth isn't their favorite, even if they think that the sermons are boring right now, like those things that are in those sermons, even if they're trying their hardest not to listen, they're going to stick with them. The Lord is going to use those things, hopefully, that have eternal weight. All right, guys. Well, that's it for this episode. If you're listening on Spotify, be sure to hit that little bell to be notified for new episodes. And if you're listening on iTunes, be sure to leave me a review so that people can find the podcast better. And be sure to head over to Instagram where you can follow the What Then podcast and give topic recommendations or any feedback.